You're listening to the Highland Ministry Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Highland Baptist Church, please visit our website at hbcmolino.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Josh Hilton. One day soon, we will get forever the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I hope that, that you look forward in anticipation with that truth this morning, that you are excited about the day that you will be forever your Savior and your King. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn with us to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we're we're going to look at a passage here. We've got several other scriptures that we'll flip through. They'll be on the screen, and uh, we'll let you know where, where those are. But uh, uh, the main portion of our this is going to be Ephesians chapter 4 uh, this morning. Last week, we, we started a new series uh, just looking at being a part of the body of Christ. Uh, and we we're talking about church membership, but also just talking about believers in general. And when we talk about church membership, we're not just talking about what we do here at Highland, but being a part of the, the capital C church, the, the church, the body of Christ, and, and what we're supposed to do uh, as believers. That, that scripture last week took us to 1 Corinthians 12, and, and it, it kind of leads into to where we're going to be going uh, today with the unity of the Spirit. And um, 1 Corinthians 12, there, there, was, there was one of the verses there, I believe it was 25, that, that talked about the unity that comes in the body of Christ that needs to be present in the body of Christ. But if you were, were to flip over just uh, one, one page, just one chapter, it may even be on the, the same page, we, we run into a familiar passage in 1 Corinthians 13. And, and oftentimes, as you read in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, those two really support each other really, really well. But there's a break there, and there's a break there for a reason uh, that Paul put in his letter. But he begins to talk about this four-letter four word that is love. This week, we got to celebrate Valentine's Day. We got to enjoy some fellowship together uh, as we uh, sat around tables and asked each other questions and ate, ate soup and grilled cheese and desserts and uh, just got to love on one another as a part of the body of Christ. And um, but 1 Corinthians 13 gives us a picture of love about what love is and what love is not in verses four through seven. If you're not familiar with those, you can look at some of the, the signs that we have around, even out in the foyer back there on the table and stuff uh, that, that are straight from those scriptures from 1 Corinthians 13, four through seven. Uh, and then verse starts with these three words that are behind me here, love never fails. And so Paul gives the church at Corinth an, an idea of what love is. And what love is not. But before he gives them that picture in verses 4 through 7, he gives them these words in verses 1 through 3. These will be on the screen. Uh, if you want to turn over there quickly, you can. But 1 Corinthians 13 verses 1 through 3 says this about love. It says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and, I, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. 
and if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. So Paul comes in with some strong words before he tells what love is. He reminds him, he says, Whatever you do must be done in love because you can do all of these churchy things. You could be a martyr even and lose your life for Christ. Don't do it with love. It's worthless. He said it's nothing. Paul reminds us that without love, nothing that we do matters. So everything that we'll talk about this morning has to start with the premise of love. Jesus was pretty clear about that himself in when he was asked about what's the greatest commandment. To trick him. And he said all the law can be boiled down to two things. Love God and love others. He said if we can do that then we can satisfy as much as we can, the law. John thirteen thirty five. Jesus tells us that, uh, that people will know that we belong to him, that we're his disciples by the way we love him. Jesus was really big on this, this idea, this topic of love. Everything that we do has to be done in love or it does not matter. That's what scripture teaches us. So love is extremely important. But I told you the title of the message is Unity of the Spirit. So what does love have to do with unity? Colossians chapter 3 verse 14 says this, Beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Here in another letter that Paul wrote, he said that beyond all of these things, and you've got to find out what all those things were in verses 12 and 13, and we'll actually, I didn't read those now because we're going to read those in our last point uh, this morning uh, when we talk about some stuff there. But the things that he lists before he says beyond all these things put on love, the things that he lists are compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness. So Paul lists those things out in verses 12 and 13 of Colossians chapter 3. But in verse 14, he says, beyond all these things, put on love. Why? Because it's the perfect bond of unity. We're going to talk about the importance of unity this morning. But what we have to understand is that for us to have unity, we have to have love for one another. A unified church is a powerful church, and we will talk about that in just a few moments. But before we ever get to that point, we've got to love one another. If it doesn't start with love, then it will not matter. It will, it will not uh, bring any fruit there. So Paul, when he is talking about all these, he says, we should put on love, which is the perfect unity, because love and unity go hand in hand. We will never be united if we don't love one another. And we'll show people that we love one another by being united as a body of believers. Love in the church shows up as unity. It's how it reveals itself. It shows up in a unified body of believers 
working together. Tom Rainer uh, said this in, in his book, I Am a Church Member, says, For when we seek unity, we demonstrate love. We go hand in hand. When we look past ourselves and strive to find common ground, that's when we can work together in unity. And when we can work together in unity, that's when the Spirit can move and work among us. So how do we have this unity? How do we have unity in the church? And that, that's why I wanted us to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 because this is going to start the idea of, of how we have unity as a church body. At Highland Baptist Church, how do we have unity? Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says this, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. Paul here in his church, his letter to the church at Ephesus says that he, he is a prisoner of the Lord and he, he is saying, I implore you, I'm begging you, I'm, I'm, I'm asking with everything that I have for you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have been given. He didn't spell out the calling there. He didn't do anything there. He says, what you've been tasked to do, he said, I'm asking you to walk in a manner worthy of what God has asked you to do. He said, I'm asking you to live in, in a way that honors that calling on your life. Then he goes on to verse 2, and he says, here's, here's some ways that you can walk worthy. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Oh, that's where we want to stop. Because you really don't want to read the next one either. Because it says, show intolerance for one another in love. See, that idea of love keeps coming back up because love is important to the work of the church because without love for one another, we'll never be unified. And he's saying, hey, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've been called. And he said, I want you to do it in this fashion with humility and gentleness, with patience and showing tolerance for one another in love. And then verse three says, being diligent, to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says, I want you to be diligent. You know me, I went to the dictionary. Diligent is constant in effort to accomplish something. I had a pretty good idea of what diligent meant, but I wanted to confirm that. And the dictionary says it's constant in effort to accomplish something. Paul here in his letter, he says, I want you to be constant in your efforts to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. He said, we have to be constant in our effort to keep the unity of the Holy Spirit. What that tells me is that unity comes from the spirit. It's not something we can manufacture. It's not a class that we can take and, and we can just make happen. It's not something there. But, but everything else that I've read shows you that it starts with us loving one another. And then some, somewhere along the way, as we learn to love one another, despite our flaws, despite our uh, misgivings, the things that, that, that we think and, and, and do, the, the, the preferences that we may have that will be different, other people, despite all of that, when we learn to love people how Christ loved people, when we learn to love the church family, 
as Jesus loved the church, then the Spirit brings unity. Oftentimes people look and go, well, why can't we do what the early church did in the book of Acts? Well, everything that the early church did in the book of Acts, they did together. They were all in one mind and one accord, right? That doesn't mean they were driving a Honda. Some of y'all get that. Um, they did it together. With the same frame of mind. They did it to, with, with, a, with a purpose of glorifying God. They, they looked and said, hey, this is what we're supposed to do. And it doesn't matter if this is what I want to do. This is what God wants to do. And so they moved together. And, and the Spirit was able to move where thousands of people would be saved. In a, in a day's time, or even hundreds of people would be saved in a day's time, or even just one soul was saved in a day's time because the Spirit was allowed to move through the unity that was brought about by the love that each other had for one another. I honestly can't tell you how many times I've had that question of how do we get back to that? Because people want the results that the early church had. We want to feel the pews that are here. We want to feel churches across this county so that they can hear the word of God. So how do we get back to the results that were found in the early church? We got to start acting the way they did. They were unified because they loved one another. When they had differences, they talked it out. They worked those things out. They said, hey, our job is to work together as the church because we've got a mission greater than ourselves. It's not what we talked last week. It's not that country club where I come in and I, I tip uh, or, or put my tithe in, in the offering plate and I expect some kind of service to come around and people to wait on me. No, they looked and said, Lord, what can we do for you? God, what do you want us to do? And we're going to do that together. And so they went in one mind and one accord and they worked. So the, the reason that the Spirit could move was there was a unity that the Spirit was allowed to bring into that place because people were willing to love one another and work together. And Paul told the church, you've got to be constant in your effort to preserve the unity he used more strong language here about unity than he did the other things. He said, yeah, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have, and I want you to do it with humility, and I want you to do it with gentleness, and I want you to do it with patience. He said, but you've also got to tolerate one another in love so that you can preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's not something we can create, but something that we are to preserve through peace with one another. We'll never be as a church be able to manufacture unity. But we can see it happen if we're willing to love one another. If we're willing to love one another. See, the thing about it is, as I was studying this week, one of the things that, that came to mind is that there's something that makes the church different from the rest of the world. 
And that's unity. We look outside the walls of the church and we look outside of the, 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 the body of believers where we're all supposed to be working towards these main ideas, these main things of making much of Jesus, sharing the gospel, bringing people into the family of God, disciples making disciples, ever how you want to frame all of that. But we look at a world that is anything but united. We see a world that is split on a lot of different issues. If you don't see that, whatever the news comes on today give it about 10 minutes and I promise you'll see it because that's what's out there it's it's not united we live in the United States but that's far from what we are that's just a name it's not a characteristic more the world doesn't understand unity and I'll be honest with you the church doesn't always understand it either because it's not something that we can build ourselves. The church has gotten really good at saying, hey, well, these are the things we want to see, so what kind of program can we bring in to make that happen? We want to see these results so we can do X, Y, or Z to make these things happen. Unity is not one of those things that we can fabricate no matter what we do. We can't build that. It comes from the Holy Spirit. We're told, we're told to guard it. We're told to preserve it. We're told to make sure that we're not doing anything to squash the work of the Spirit. Unity is what makes the church different. Because when the world sees people who are united that are different, they become curious. When they see, you know what? all those people don't agree on things because I know this one has political leaning, this one has that political leaning, this one has uh, this ideology of this topic, this one believes this is okay, this one believes that this is not okay, and, and you look and you've got a, a diverse group of people with different mindsets, and, and, and the world looks and goes, how in the world can they get along every week? Because I know they don't agree on everything. And see, the thing about it is, what most people think about unity means that, well, I just got to be a doormat now. No. See, the beauty of unity is it doesn't mean that we have to agree on everything all the time. But it does mean that from time to time we'll have to set aside some of our own preferences and make sacrifices to keep that unity. Paul doesn't tell the church, hey, you, need, you just need to bend over backwards and do whatever it is everybody else wants to do to preserve this. He said, no, you need to work things out so that you can diligently preserve the unity of the Spirit through peace. It doesn't mean that you don't get to voice your opinion. It doesn't mean that you don't get to have a different idea. It doesn't mean that I don't get to have a different idea. It doesn't mean that we don't get to have different preferences. But what it does mean is that when we present those, we do it in love. We do it through a conversation. And we understand that even if things don't come back to where I wanted them to be, it's okay as long as it's where God wants us to be. And that's usually where we get lost. That's usually where we stop that unity of the Spirit is we look and go, yeah, but I don't like that. 
the harsh reality of it is the things that we do at church, even for myself, are not for me. The harsh reality is that we don't, there was nobody up here this morning that sang to me. It wasn't about me. None of those songs had my name in them. The Joshua that's in here is not me. It's a totally different one. So even this doesn't have my name in it. Now, there's some things that speak to me. There's a lot of things in here that speak to me, but it's not about me. Scripture is about God and how I can honor him, how I can love him, how I can make much of him, what I'm supposed to do as a follower of him. But somewhere down the line from the early church that started in Acts 2 to where we are today, we've forgotten that. And it's hard to see the results that they saw early on because we don't see the love that they had for one another. And without love, we never have unity. See, the thing is, we... The Holy Spirit's the source of the unity, but we are the protectors of unity. Because we will stop it in a heartbeat. It will come and go based off of the actions of us. But it will be brought about by the Spirit. See, what, what God wants the world to see when they look at the church is He wants the world to see a united front. He wants to see the world to see his people working together, even though they have different ideas or suggestions. He wants them to see how God can work through people where chaos would normally be. He wants the world to see unity amongst his people. Why? Because we're all working towards the same goal of making money of him in everything that we do. Our goal is to show the work of the Holy Spirit through unity as a body that works together for something bigger than ourselves. But to do that, there's something that we also have to keep from happening. We've got to stop gossip. I wasn't ready for it when he told me to write that one down either. So if y'all were surprised a little bit this morning. One of the greatest things that will kill the unity of the church is the conversations of the people of the church. It's where it stops. Unity stops when we want to talk about the things we don't like about the church, we want to talk about the, the people that we don't like in the church, or we want to talk about the things that the church is not doing enough that fits what we want the church to do. Gossip is a killer of unity. Just as fast as unity can come in, it'll leave when the people start grumbling about the others in the church. You can see that example also in the book of Acts. I believe it's Acts chapter 7 uh, or somewhere around the, the early part there where there was a complaint that arose. <laughs> well, there goes all the good work we've been doing. There's a complaint now in the church. I know, imagine that. That would never happen. Um, there was a complaint because there was a certain group of widows that were 
being left out. They weren't being served like they were supposed to. So a conversation happened. And we formed what most people would tell you is the formation of deacons in the church to serve those widows and make sure that they were taken care of. They picked out people who would care for those people and they used them to serve while the apostles continued to teach and not take away from the work that God was doing through the teaching of the word. Had they not done something about it, complaints would have continued and the church could have stopped before the end of the book of Acts. And there'd be no reason for Paul to write any of the letters that we've been reading from today because gossip, complaints, not being willing to have conversations will stop unity in its tracks. And unity is extremely powerful in the witness and the work of the church. Unity is something that we have to have to, to, to go and make much of God. It, spreads it, it magnifies it it exponentially grows what we do as a church unity it'll do that but it also fades just as fast gossip tears that apart and can render the church powerless you're like okay josh well where where do you see that at flip over with me to first first peter chapter three 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 says this, For the one who desires life to love and, and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. See here, Peter is quoting an excerpt from Psalms 34 as he tells his readers that, hey, if you're going to, to love life, if you're going to have good days, it starts with us controlling the tongue. It starts with us controlling the tongue. Now, if you're familiar with any New Testament scripture, and, and I know our library uh, that we do the Bible study in here with is familiar with this because we've walked through it already. Uh, but James also talks about the power of the tongue. But here in 1 Peter 3, what, what Paul is telling us, he said, if you can learn to control your tongue, that'll give God more room to work in your life. If we, as a body of believers, can learn to control our tongue, then God will be able to move in a powerful way amongst his people. I told you James talks a lot about the power of the tongue. James chapter 3, verse 6 says this, And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. James is not a big fan of what comes from the tongue. It's a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body. Last week, we talked about different things. As, as the body suffers, we suffer. And we, we looked at the analogy there in, in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth about the body of Christ and how we're all different parts of the body. And James says that the tongue is a part of the body. It's one of the members that will defile the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. I would venture to say that if I ask for a show of hands, and I'm not, I'm not doing that this morning, that every one of you 
If I ask the question, do you know someone that was hurt by words that were said in the church? Raise your hand. Don't Please don't do that. Because I already know that everybody would. I'm not asking you to, to walk into that. But every one of us knows somebody that's been affected by the tongue. Every one of us knows somebody who is not here today, not necessarily Highland, but not sitting in a church this morning because of what some, somebody that goes to church or professes to be a follower of Christ said to them at some point in time. They've not been in church since. We all are, <laughs> the sad part is we probably all have loved ones that won't go back because of something that somebody at a church because now it has completely ruined their view of God. The unfortunate part is you don't understand how powerful your tongue is that you can completely ruin someone's view of the creator, of God himself. You can ruin that for somebody, the things that you say. I'm smart enough to know that there are people that used to sit in this congregation that go somewhere else today because they can't sit in the congregation across from somebody they didn't agree with. And it was probably a conversation. It could have been a misunderstanding. But they're not here today because of that. I say all that not to put anybody on a guilt trip because, hey, there's some of you that are here today because you can't go back to the church that you used to be at because of a conversation that you walked through there, whether it was at the church or with people of the church. I understand that. But what I'm trying to paint the picture of for, for each of us this morning is that we've got to learn to control our tongue. Because according to James, there's not a member of the body that defiles the body like the tongue does. There's not a part of us that pushes people away quicker than the words that we say, even if it's a misunderstanding. James describes the tongue as a world of iniquity that defiles the entire body. See, the tongue is a powerful weapon, honestly. It's a powerful weapon. And it will destroy someone just as fast as it can build someone up. We have that conversation with our children. You've probably seen different analogies, you've heard different word pictures of it. We've I've seen children's uh, church lessons on the power of our words and stuff, and it's just like the paste inside the toothpaste bottle. Have you ever tried to put that stuff back in because you got too much? I don't even try. I just go ahead and wash that drain. Said, so well, I'm, I'm going to be out without that one because I can't put it back in there. I cannot make the paste go back in the tube no matter what I do. I generally just make a bigger mess. It's the same thing with our words. Because once they're out there, it takes a really, really long time to clean up that mess. And that's what it is. It's a mess. 
You can try and put them back in the tube. It's not going to work. You get some of that toothpaste on the wrong thing, and guess what? It's going to stain because it's got some kind of bleach in there to make the teeth pretty and white. You get it on the wrong fabric, and it'll stain. And so you're going to have them that's left forever. It's the same thing with our words. And unfortunately, many of you know that yourselves, is that our words are one of the fastest things that can stop the work that God is trying to do in His church. I want to tell you this morning, if you've ever been hurt by a church, I'm sorry. That was not God's design. If you've ever been hurt by somebody who said they were a follower of Christ, I want you to know that they weren't acting according to God's will. Because everything that tells us to do what it is that we're to do, even when we have conversations with people that point people in a different direction, we're supposed to do that in love. When we do something in love, it's supposed to be done in a way that doesn't hurt people like that. But our words are powerful. We've told our children, is you, you can't control what other people do. I can't control what you say. You can't control what I say. Although there are times you probably would like to. We can't control what others do. And so this point here of having to squash gossip, you're not going to be able to do it for everybody, but you can control what you say. You can control how you talk about God's church. You can control how you talk about the, the body of Christ. You can control what you are doing to preserve the unity in His church. Those are the things that you can control. But what happens when we mess up? I'm glad you asked that. Because we're all going to fall into those categories from times where we, we said things that we shouldn't have said. We've done things. Our, our tongue got in the way. How do we fix that? How do we fix that? We all make mistakes. But when, we make, when those mistakes happen... Are we willing to do something about it? Are we willing to do something about the mistakes that we make? When unity is broken or when gossip happens, will we seek forgiveness from those we hurt or even those that hurt us? Those are the questions that start that you have to ask that lead us to seeking forgiveness. The only way you can make up when you hurt the unity of church is you've got to seek forgiveness. Sometimes it's things we did. Sometimes it's things we didn't do. Sometimes it's just things that happen amongst people and we've got to have those conversations to work those things out. But Scripture talks a lot about forgiveness. There's actually a few places that we're going to, to look this morning with forgiveness and, and there's, there's some strong words there. If you remember in the Sermon on the Mount that we walked through uh, not too long ago in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, it says this, For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Jesus said, if you can't have a willing heart, then 
why would you expect God to do the same for you? Because apparently he's not changed you. If you're not willing to forgive other people, then why would we expect God to forgive us? It tells us to forgive just as God has forgiven. How does God forgive us? What does that look like? How has God forgiven us and how does he continue to do that? Well, scripture tells us exactly how he does that in Psalm 103. Verses 10 through 12, it says this. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, praise the Lord. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. And then this is what he does with it. Verse 12 in Psalm 103 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. See, Scripture tells us oftentimes, forgive as God has forgiven us. Forgive as Christ has forgiven us. And oftentimes we don't realize the weight of how God has forgiven us. He's forgiven us in a way that doesn't deal with our sins he doesn't deal with us according to our sins. He handles our sins. He gets rid of those. So when we ask for his forgiveness, he says, okay, I'm going to cast those as far as the east is from the west. Those things will never meet. But scripture tells us that he doesn't deal with us according to the wrong that we have done. So why would we do that to others? Why would we treat people based off of what they've done to us? I'm not saying that it's easy, but I'm saying if we ever want to get to the picture of a healthy church that is unified, that is moving, that the Spirit is working in a powerful way, we have to preserve that unity. And when that unity is we've got to man up and do something about that even if it's not our fault some of y'all are like Josh I don't like that at all I don't even but even if it's not our fault we are called to protect the unity of the spirit by keeping peace And so the church will allow the spirit to move or it will quench the spirit based off of the things that we are willing to do to protect the unity of the church. Because I'm going to go ahead and tell you something now is that God's not going to move in a church that doesn't love him like it should. He's not going to move in a place that, that can't look at his will and go, hey, God, no matter what you want, it doesn't matter. I don't, it doesn't matter about me. I'm setting all my stuff aside to do what you view as best for your church. He's not going to move unless those things happen. And so if he's not moving, then what are we holding back? If he's not working the way that we desire for him to work, if, if the numbers, I am a numbers guy and I'm not a numbers guy. I love math and, and all the things that go with that. I know I'm weird. It's fine. But I'm also one of those that I like real numbers. I want 
no, because they're an indicator of uh, things that are going on. Math, to me, it just makes sense because it's add, subtract, multiply, divide. The numbers are there. Sometimes you got to put them in the right order, but they're just there. So for me, it's logical. And so for me, if, if I'm looking at what it is, is doing and we go hey you know what we want to reach people we want to do these things and you may ask well Josh do we know if we're reaching people I can tell you what our numbers are I can't tell you how hearts are changing I can see people come and do the work with the Lord at the altar I can have conversations with people that will say, hey, you know what? God really spoke to me in that message or that song really spoke to my heart. And, and I've just been chewing on that all week. I can hear those things, but it's really hard to measure change inside the heart until we start to see the change on the outside. And so if you ask me today, hey, John, the church growing in the past year that you've been here, I can tell you that the numbers are higher. But I can also look at the salvations and the baptisms we've had. We had last year, and we're not there yet this year. I know it's only February. But before long, it's going to be June and July. And then before long, we're going to be, uh, right now, we were talking Easter this morning before service started. Before long, we're going to be talking Christmas. And then we're going to be looking and going, okay, well, those numbers still aren't there. I'm not saying that I push for numbers, but numbers are a metric that we can use to measure the things that God is doing. And so I can go, okay, God, if the numbers aren't trending in the right direction, what are we doing to stop what you want to do? That's just how my mind works. Honestly, I usually start with, with God, what is Josh not doing that you want him to do? And then how do we motivate your people to do your will? And be about your business. But the thing about unity is it takes work from all of us. Because we're going to make mistakes. But are we willing to find forgiveness? We may understand the source of unity is the spirit. We may also understand that we're supposed to squash gossip in the church. But are we willing to seek forgiveness? We're willing to have those conversations. We're willing to talk about things we don't like. Are we willing to change our perspective by seeking forgiveness from one another. Because when Scripture says we're supposed to forgive as God has forgiven, we're reminded there in Psalms that God doesn't deal with us according to our sins, so we shouldn't deal with others according to the wrong they have done either. We should seek forgiveness. Paul reiterates this in Colossians chapter 3. I told y'all we were going to go back there. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. We started with 14 earlier, talking about putting on love, which is the, the perfect bond of unity. Well, in Colossians 3, 12 through 13, it says this. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then he gets to verse 13. It says, bearing with one another... And he doesn't stop there. He says, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. The reason it's talked about a lot in Paul's letters to the church is because he understands that unity in the church 
is what allows the Spirit to move. Love in the church is what allows the Spirit to work in the church. And so when we're divided in the church, guess what? The Spirit doesn't work. The Spirit doesn't move. Not because He can't, because God can do whatever He, he wants to. He's just going to move somewhere else. Because the thing is, the Spirit of God is not just meeting with Highland Baptist Church this morning. He's also meeting down the road at multiple other churches that we've been praying for all year long. We've got another one that we're praying for this week that we'll talk about here in a little while. But God is not just in this place today. And so if we're not willing to do what it takes to protect the unity of the church and, and, and allow the body of Christ to be his hands and his feet and go out and do the things that God is trying to do in Molino, guess what? He's going to use somebody else. And we're not going to like it. None of us will. Because nobody likes it when a church moves into your community to do the work that you've been called to do. heard those complaints too there's a lot of work that needs to happen outside these walls there's a lot of people that need to be reached and God is asking Highland Baptist Church saying hey will you partner with me will you allow me to work to reach the people that I want to reach in Molino will you allow me to work to, to reach the people that I want to reach on 95A will you allow me to work to reach the people that may stretch a little bit past the boundaries of Molino he said, will you be the church that I created you to be over 104 years ago and allow me to work? Fortunately, some of us are saying, yeah, but I, I'm not working with that person. I'm not going to work with that one. So God, if you can work through me, that's great, but don't ask me to partner with them. He says, fine, I'll use a different church. That's the reality of it. He's going to look and say, that's fine. If you can't get over yourself and be who I called you to be and do the work that I'm asking you to do, he said, then I'll use somebody else. What I need you to understand is that conversation later on is not going to be fun. I don't understand how all of that stuff's going to go on judgment day. But I don't want to look God face to face and him say, Josh, I had great plans for Highland. You couldn't get over yourself. You couldn't work with the people that I gave you to work with. So I decided not to use you in that area. You saw how this church grew and how they moved and how, how great things happened. He said that you were supposed to be a part of that plan. But you were too stubborn. You cared more about yourself than you did me. That's, that's the reality of what we say when we're not willing to seek forgiveness. When we're not willing to work with the body that God has brought here. Reminder after reminder that we are supposed to forgive just as God has forgiven us which means he's not dealing with us according to our sins, nor rewarding us according to our iniquities. No, he is casting everything, those transgressions, as far as the east is 
from the West. So this morning I ask you this question. Are we willing to follow the example that God has given us to protect the unity of the church? Does it matter that much to you? Seeing God work in the church that, that you are a part of, does it matter that much to you that you're willing to do whatever it takes to seek out unity? We won't be able to create it, but the Spirit will be able to move in the willingness of His people. Are we de- willing to do what it takes to make sure that we are not the reason that His church doesn't grow? I've already told you, you can't control everybody you can only control yourself are you going to allow yourself to be the reason that God cannot work through Highland Baptist Church are you going to be the reason that people in Molino don't hear the gospel this week or in a few weeks in an event that we're going to do are you going to be the reason because you're not willing to do what it takes to put in that work will we protect the unity of the church by watching our conversations, and when we mess up, by seeking forgiveness. I understand that those are some heavy questions. But what I want you to know is that God desires to work through Highland Baptist Church. He wants to see this church grow Spiritually, physically, he wants us to reach the lost for his glory. But we got to be willing to do what it takes. We got to be willing to look past ourselves and say, Lord, I'm not going to let my personal preferences get in your way. Lord, I'm not going to uh, allow a misunderstanding to stop what it is that you want to do. You've got to make sure that you're not the reason. I've got to make sure that I'm not the reason. And when we all do that, guess what? Then we start to see the love and the unity that comes from us looking past ourselves and just looking at Jesus. Because I'm gonna tell you, you don't have to look very long and hard to find issues with your pastor. You'll find something you don't like. For some of you, it's gonna be the sports team that I root for on the weekends. Y'all laugh, you already know what team it is. Nobody roots for the Lakers, son. You don't have to dig very deep to find something about me that is different than what you believe or what you prefer. You don't have to. So if you want to look for issues, you'll find them pretty quickly. But what I'm asking and what I think God is asking for us to do this morning, he's saying, I'm I'm asking for y'all to look for solutions because I'm ready to move. I'm ready to work. I'm ready to see Molino know more about me 
I'm ready to grow this church. He said, I'm, I'm ready to do something incredible in the lives of people that have been praying for it for years. He says, so I need you to stop looking for issues and start looking for solutions on how you can work together, how we can make much of him through everything that we do, even when it's not the way we wanted to do it. We got to start looking differently though. Because if you want issues, you'll find issues. In a moment, you'll find issues. But when we start to look differently, we start to find solutions. We start to see people's hearts. We start to clear up misunderstandings and we see that, you know what? We're all on the same page. We're all desiring the same thing. We were just trying to do it different ways. And so we've been hurt against each other for a while now because we've been trying to do the same thing, just trying to do it differently. Because we weren't willing to do it together. Our association has a slogan that says, Better Together. And Brian Nall, many of y'all know him. Wonderful leader. Great administrator. Just a wonderful man of God you that no matter what you believe we are truly better when we work together now he's looking on an association standpoint he's looking at all the churches I think there's 58 ish churches in our association somewhere around that ballpark and we're growing we've already added one this year we added a couple last year our Association's growing. So as the close to 60 churches, he's looking and going, hey, if we can work together so we can reach Escambia County. I've been meeting with some pastors trying to figure out what we can do on the north end of the county to work together to reach people for the gospel. You've seen just a little bit of information there if you've read the bulletin about an event called Engage Escambia. I tell you all that to tell you that our mindset should be that we truly are better together. What I can do by myself is just a small amount. And sometimes it takes a little bit, but when we work together, then guess what? Now there's two of us that can do those things. It may take some time and trying. It may take some frustration. If any of you have ever held the flashlight for your dad while he's working on the car, you understand. I needed a spotlight. I could never get it in the right spot. It may be some frustration in getting to that point. But once we understand and we're all moving in the right direction, now we've got a church full of people who have been trained and who are walking in the same direction that can now, and we can multiply what it is that God's doing. And you're not just looking at one person saying, I'm waiting on you to do this so we know what next. God says, I want y'all to stop looking at issues. I want you to start looking at solutions. He said, I've got some work that I want you to do. And my prayer for us this morning is that each and every one of us would look at ourselves and say, am I willing to do the work that it takes so that God can work through His church?
church. I keep saying his church because it's not mine. It's not yours. It's his church. And when he wants it to close, it'll close. The spirit will leave. Congregation will dry up and this will be a building that somebody will have to sell. It's his church. We're supposed to do our best to guard the unity of it so that he can work through it. The question for us this morning is, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to guard the unity of his church so that his spirit can move, not just in this room, but outside these walls to make much of him? Let me pray for us. Father, today, we hear you. I hear you, Lord. And honestly, I can't speak for anybody else whether or not they're listening. But Lord, I hope that they've heard you too. And Lord, I don't know what it is that you're trying to do in this place. God's reach people for the lost and grow us as the family unit that we are here at Highland Baptist Church. But Lord, I, I know that you desire to work. And so, Lord, I'm asking for you to help us search our hearts. And, Lord, if there's anything that we're doing that's stopping the work that you're wanting to do, then help us to seek forgiveness. Lord, if there's anything that we're doing intentionally or unintentionally that is keeping your church from moving in the direction that you want it to go, help us to find solutions, Lord. Lord, maybe that solution is we're not unified because we don't have a relationship with you. We don't even understand all that love stuff that Paul talked about besides what the world has showed, showed us of love. And so, Lord, if there's anybody in this room that doesn't have a relationship with you, Lord, let's start there today. Lord, burden their heart. Compel them to come forward and have a conversation. Compel that, that child to, to tug on their parents' uh, sleeve and say, hey, I, I need to have this conversation. Lord, allow your spirit to move so that everyone here can be a part of the family of God. And Lord, for those of us that are already a part of your family, those that have already are in relationship with you today, Lord, help us examine ourselves Lord help us to bring to the altar what it is that's stopping you from moving amongst your people Lord let us lay the issues down and walk back with solutions to make much of you Lord speak to us now and Lord I pray that everyone that you're speaking to will respond in the manner that you're asking them to myself included and we'll give you the glory for it all. In your holy name I pray. Amen.